Well, good morning and welcome to LifePoint. On both of our campuses, we are in a summer series called At the Movies, where we're looking at some of the most popular movies where we are discovering biblical truths in unexpected places. Now, though we have the rights to enjoy these movie clips in the service, we also see that when we go to broadcast it, it'll get interrupted and often the content gets blocked. And well, that's just not a very good experience for you. And so what we've decided to do is go back and, and find some of the most well-received, impactful messages over the last year, and we're going to share those with you so that you can enjoy those uninterrupted. Now, if you would like to come and join us at, at the Movies, Plano at 9 o'clock, Rock Hill at 1030, we'd love to have you there. But thank you for tuning in with us, and I hope today's message is an encouragement. Couldn't have picked a better one myself. It's top of the line, all the options. The only thing it can't do is fly. No, I'm just licking. This one is way out of my price range. Oh, see, now there's your problem. Price range is really just a frame of mind. The facts are that you work hard. You deserve this, and God wants you to be happy. Yeah, appreciate your enthusiasm, but um, God never said that. I'm pretty sure I bought a car from that guy one time. Have you guys had a car salesman, anything like that one time, who told you, you deserve that, right? In fact, sometimes we treat God like an advertiser. I mean, advertisers love to tell us things we want to hear, even though we aren't sure they're true. And here, here's some examples. Uh, a McDonald's ad that tells us, you deserve a break today. So come spend your money and give it to us, and we'll give you some really unhealthy foods, right? But you deserve it, right? Or, or we, we go, we see L'Oreal says, because you're worth it, we're going to overcharge you for high-priced makeup. And then we go, you deserve the best beats. Or Wendy's that says, you deserve the best day or night. I mean, the truth is, they all sound kind of good, don't they? Advertisers love to tell us this. And there's the character, if you've watched the, the series on uh, on HBO called uh, Mad Men with a character, Don Draper, who reveals something about advertising. He says, advertising is based on one thing. Say it with me, happiness. In other words, we've got a hook, which is our product and price, but the bait will almost always be happiness. Because, why? We like to be happy, right? I like to be happy, don't you like to be happy? And so it's a pretty good bait to say, whatever we're selling you will give you what you are ultimately after. You just wanna be happy and we've got the solution for you. So we're beginning, as Isaac said, a brand new series called God Never Said That because there are at least four myths. There are many more, but we're going to tackle four myths that often get attributed to God, but he never said that. We often believe not only that they're true, but they're somewhere in the Bible, but they're not. And so I want us to, to look at these myths. We're going to look at the one today, but first I want to give you a preview of the next three weeks. Myth number two next week is, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. The problem is, God never said that. And then myth number three that we'll look at in a couple of weeks is, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. Which sounds good, right? Like we kind of want that to be true, but the problem is, say it with me, God never said that. And then the fourth myth that we're going to look at is, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. But the problem is, say it with me, God never said that. The one we're going to look at today, though, is the most popular, 
a, a myth that is attached to God, and it has all kinds of fingers that lead to really dangerous places, and I think it's especially common in Western world, in America in particular, this myth about God. It gets attributed to him all the time. And here it is. We're going to look at it today. God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be happy. Now, come on. Let's be real. God is good, and I want to be happy. So it seems like a God who's good, who made me, and knows that I want to be happy, would just want me to be happy. It's kind of logical, isn't it? And then you can even take some verses and you can sort of twist them. It doesn't take a lot of twisting, but you can twist a little bit and you can actually kind of prove your point. You can prove this myth. In fact, I'll give you a verse if you need a little help. It's Psalm 97, verse 12. It begins with this word, rejoice. God is telling us that we should rejoice. This word rejoice comes from a root word that means joy. It's, in fact, some translators actually translate this verse with the two words, be happy. And we're all going, yes, because that's what I want anyway. Every advertiser knows that's what you want, knows what that's what I want. So come on, we got a verse that says celebrate, be happy, rejoice. Like this is really, really good, right? Everything's going great so far. Here's the problem with that myth. If God just wants you to be happy, then it can actually lead to some dangerous places. I want to share three with you. First, if God primarily wants me happy, then whatever makes me happy must be right. And whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. If God just wants me happy, this is where my thinking will lead. That's why Sheryl Crow wrote the song in that lyric that says, if it makes you happy, well, it can't be that bad, right? Like, this is a logical conclusion if that's where we start, that God just wants me happy. Here's the challenge that I would have with you on this myth. You already know that isn't true in every other area of your life, right? Like, when it comes to fitness, what do we say? No pain, no gain. Like, you've got to become unhappy over a period of time in order to get the results that you want. When it comes to your career, it's like, hey, I've got to get an education. I've got to sacrifice hard work and a lot of hours. If I want to be a good parent or a good spouse, like it's going to take sacrifice on my part. I've got to, at times, be a little bit unhappy. We don't let happiness drive everything in any other area of our life. But when it comes to God, it's like, yeah, but here, I just want God to make me happy. So whether you're a Jesus follower or not, and you're here today, I just want to say we're so glad that you're here but you already know this isn't true in every other area of your life. And I just want to propose to you it's a myth when we attribute it to God. Now, not only did God not say that, I want to show you what he did say, what he does teach in his word. He teaches that happiness is not a standard to determine right or wrong. Now, I realize that isn't fun to hear. It's not fun for me to say and I wish that weren't true, but when you dig a little bit deeper in a God who created me and you, there's something better than happiness that he's offering. And happiness is a cheap standard for determining right and wrong. I remember when I first entered ministry back in 1997, there was a couple that Ginger and I got to know, my wife and I got to know, at the church, and they were about 10 years older than us, and I'm telling you, they were super kind people. And we were shocked the day she announced 
that they were getting a divorce. They weren't getting a divorce because of abuse or because of unfaithfulness. But she said, he's a great guy, but I'm just no longer happy. And if we believe God just wants to make us happy, then happiness will become our standard for what is right and wrong. And I just want to suggest to you what Scripture says. It's a really bad standard for determining right and wrong. In fact, look what, look what we're taught in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, but just as he who called you to be, who is holy, he calls you and I to be holy in all we do. That's a much higher standard, isn't it? But let's be honest. In our 21st century world, we say, you know what? Here's what God meant to say. What God meant to say was, but just as he who called you is happy, so be happy in all you do, right? This is how it feels like we're making decisions based on what makes us happy. So the truth is, you know, if you hate your job, man, just go in tomorrow morning. Go into the boss, tell them off. Be done. I know you got bills to pay, and there'll be consequences. That'll be kind of difficult down the road, but you can just be done because you just want to be happy, right? Like we all go, no, you don't do it that way. But then when it comes to our relationship with God, we just sort of have a little different standard. See, the good news is, if you really want to believe the myth, we've given you a verse, rejoice. Be happy, some translations say. But here, it not only, if you believe that myth, it will cause you to have a wrong standard for right and wrong, it gets worse. It also will cause you to think you should remove all bad things from your life. Watch this. If you believe that God primarily wants me to be happy, then bad things like discomfort, delay, and suffering, they cannot be part of God's plan for me. I, I, I don't want to be ill. You don't want to be ill. And so when they come, I begin to question God. I begin to think something got off. He's off. I'm off. I did something wrong because bad things can't be part of his plan if I believe that God just wants me to be happy. And man, this can be very unsettling if you believe that myth. And, and, and yet, what we know is true, what God did teach, which is the other side of this, is that the presence of bad things in my life can be part of God's plan. We know that because Jesus made a promise. Jesus made a promise and he said, in this world, you will. He didn't say you might. He didn't say you could. He didn't say you probably will. He said in this world you will have trouble, but he said, take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, if God just wanted us to be happy, why would he in advance promise us that we were going to have trouble? It appears as though he knew he would create us and he knew we would have trouble, and yet he had a higher standard than happiness. And then we come back to this verse. Yeah, but I thought he said to rejoice. I guess the thing I want to get back to, this is the verse I want to memorize. I want to memorize, be happy, have joy, celebrate. These are good things. And if you believe the myth, you not only will have happiness become a bad moral compass, but you also will try to eliminate all bad things from your life. And then there's a third thing. If you believe that God primarily wants you to be happy, then you'll begin to worship or prioritize comfort, money, pleasure, and possessions. They will become the priorities in our life. And, and what really happens is I begin to ask God 
to serve me instead of me serving God. I love this quote by Eugene, the late Eugene Peterson, who was uh, author and pastor. He said, our tendency is, most of the time, is to reduce God, the creator, to the dimensions of our lives and then make him the custodian of our comforts. Isn't that a great line? That we take the creator who's sovereign over the world and we say, God, you're amazing. Now serve me and make me happy. I would like to reduce you to that role of simply making me happy. But what God actually said is that the absence of good things in my life should not prevent me from worshiping Him. Now, I know it's quiet in here because this isn't fun to think about. I thought God wanted me to be happy. What do you mean telling me God doesn't want me to be happy? Well, I'm not saying He doesn't want you to be happy. What I am saying is that is not His highest priority. That He says the absence of good things shouldn't keep me or you from, prevent, from worshiping Him. We see all throughout the Old Testament, we see person after person after person who is struggling in their life, who's dealing with suffering. Think of someone like Job, all throughout the book of Job. You remember that character of Job who lost his house, he lost his livelihood, he lost his family, he lost his own health. And do you remember when he did, his friends came around him and they said, you know what, you must have done something wrong, God is not happy with you. You know why they thought that? Because they believed that God just wanted to make Job happy. And the fact that Job wasn't happy meant that something went wrong. And they believed it's impossible to worship God when you're missing these things in your life, Job. And Job began to question too. Up until that point, Job had been a faithful worshiper of God. And now he's lost everything. And maybe you're there today and you feel the same way. God, I have lost so much. So much of my life hasn't turned out the way I thought it would. So much is missing from what I thought should be there. And at the end, Job, as he's wrestling with God, you remember at the end, Job chapter 38, in fact, I would encourage you to go back and read that. Job 38 through the end of the book, God speaks and responds to a man who's missing these things in his life and is struggling with whether or not he should worship him. And God, as only God can, he didn't stand up and say, hey, Job, man, I, my bad. I, I really want you to be happy. And, and, and I didn't realize some of these things were upsetting you. Let me fix these things. Instead, God, responding to someone who's missing things in his life and wrestling with whether or not to worship, God speaks up in Job 38, and he says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of this earth? Job, where are you when I tell the oceans where to stop each day? Job, where are you when I rise the sun in the morning? Job, where are you when I rise the moon and I put the stars in the sky? Job, where are you when I orchestrate the earth? Job, there might just be some things that I know that you don't. And I am inviting you to rest in me and to trust me with what you don't know. And Job responds in Job chapter 39. It says he puts his hand over his mouth and he feels so small. And all of a sudden, his problems didn't go away, but his God just got a whole lot bigger. And he realized there is something greater in the story 
than one small person's happiness. And God invites us, even when good things are missing in our life, and I know we all have that right now, to worship him anyway. There's a bigger story going on. Now, I realize it's easy to go, hey, you know what? I, I, I think I'll settle for just the rejoice. I think I'll just settle for that one. That one's a little easier. I mean, I know it's a little more shallow, but that, that rejoice thing feels pretty good to me. He said, what's the harm in that, Mark? What, what's the harm in believing the myth that God just wants me to be happy? Can I tell you what the harm in that is? Why, as a pastor, this one breaks my heart to hear people word it in different ways, but this is the myth they keep coming back to. You know why it breaks my heart? Here's the tragedy. Because way too many people keep walking away from God because of this myth. Way too many people are leaving their faith because of this myth. We're selling the wrong thing if we're selling happiness because happiness was never promised. And whenever we keep seeing people walk away because they say, you know what, I tried church, but it didn't make me happy. I tried religion, it just didn't work for me. And can I tell you, if you're visiting here today, maybe this is your first time and you're not sure you even want to be a Jesus follower or if you believe in the scripture, can I just be as clear and loving as I know how to be and tell you that we are not selling happiness here. Instead, we are inviting you to have a relationship with your eternal creator that will last a lifetime and he will give peace and joy in the midst of any circumstance. And that deep abiding joy that he provides is way better than some superficial adrenaline rush of happiness on this earth. It's so much better. And yet, we have sometimes settled for something so much smaller. We see it all around us. And the sad thing is, if you believe that God primarily wants you happy when, not if, but when you're not happy, you will be forced to believe that God failed. I thought you were going to make me happy. God, I thought you were going to make things right. And now this? Now him? Now her? I never thought this with my job or this with my health or this with my finances or this in that relationship. God, not here, not now. I had that dream. I worked so hard. I was sure. And now this, and no spouse or, or no kids or kids that turn out running the wrong. God, I, if you believe God just is primarily making you happy, you will believe when you're not happy that he somehow failed. And I just want to submit to you, he didn't fail. We just believed a myth. God. Never said that. It's so much better what he offers. And yet, I want to be happy and so do you. Like it's a good thing to want to be happy. In fact, I would go further and say that our culture offers all kinds of solutions for this. All kinds of debate for this. You've seen it all the time in all the commercials or the pop-up ads. You see this all the time. It's a real simple formula and here is how we are told that we can be happy. It just takes this, it's real simple, and that is, it just takes better possessions, right? You say, well, what does that mean? Well, whatever you have, you just need better, right? It's an undefinable way to say you'll always need more. Like, it's fine that you have that iPhone, but there's a new one out, you know. Yeah, you need the upgrade. Like, we're not the culture of repair, we're the culture of upgrade. And so you just need better possessions. Whatever you have is fine. Those shoes are fine, 
You just need better. That car's fine. You just need better. You need better possessions. And then you're going to find somebody that has something newer, and so you're going to have to get something better. But that's just going to be the treadmill you need to get on if you want to be happy. But it doesn't just end there. You not only need better possessions, you also need peaceful circumstances. So anyone or anything that causes any kind of discomfort or strife, you're just going to have to remove that, okay? We're going to have to get rid of that. We're going to have to work a little bit on things that are challenging or difficult. Well, you just need to kind of remove that. You need peaceful circumstances above everything else. If you really want to be happy, we're told, you're going to have to have better possessions and peaceful circumstances. But then we also have to have thrilling experiences. We can't just have any old life, right? It can get boring, right? We need something a little more exciting. In fact, our family, I'll kid you not, we were just on a, a vacation. We had so much fun together. We, we got to go away for a little bit. We were up in the Northeast, and we were at LaGuardia Airport flying back when I'm thinking, what, thank you, God, for just the memories and the family that I get to enjoy being together. And then my daughter tells me, yeah, that family right there, they're flying to the Highlands, and they're going to Scotland. I'm like, man, my vacation stunk. (laughs) Really? What kind of a God, right? Like the whole thing, right? Because there's always someone who has more exciting experiences. There's always something else to do. There's always someone who, you know, I'm doing a staycation this year, and they're getting to go, you know, to Slitterbahn or whatever, right? Like, we look at the things that people, we just need more exciting. The thing is, we just need a little bit more thrilling experience. And then... If you really want to be happy, you also can't forget that you've got to have right relationships. In other words, if you don't have a spouse, you need a spouse. If you have a spouse, you need a better spouse. <laughs> right? You don't have kids, you need kids. You have kids, you need better kids. Right? You don't have friends, you need friends. If you have friends, you need better friends. Right? It's always one step. I look around, I'm like, oh, wait, I've got to have better possessions. Okay, got it. Special, you know, circumstances, thrilling experiences, and right relationships, but there's one more thing just if you really want to be happy that you got to do, and it's simply this, you got to have a perfect appearance, okay? You got to have a perfect appearance. You don't want to just have any old body. You don't want to have to look any old way, right? Like, I'll drive down the tollway and all the billboards for all the surgeries that I'm supposed to have, I'm like, man, I didn't get the right insurance when I came to this church, so I don't have to do all that. Look what you got to do if you want to really be happy now. You got to do all these things, better possession, peace. I mean, I'm tired. I don't know about you, but I look at that, I go, here's the problem. Here's the problem with all this. Every one of these things, they say, will equal happiness. But every one of these things are temporary. And every one of these things fade. And none of them deliver. And they're all the counterfeit to something so much better. As part of our vacation we were up in the Northeast, and I was reminded a truth that I'd forgotten. A lot of churches decades ago, it was very customary for them to build these kind of traditional-looking chapels, and they also would include a cemetery or a graveside. You've, 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 you've done these tours. You've seen them. And there would be a cemetery right beside. Now, look, I realize it's a thing of the past. But I wonder if something's been lost as that tradition has gone away. And again, I'm not suggesting we do this. I'm not saying that with our future location, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to get some more acreage and PG and I get the first two plots. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But I wonder if there were something about these believers as they walked into the house of God and they saw in their peripheral vision 
a simple reminder of something we in contemporary Christianity often forget. We are going to die. This is not all there is. This whole thing is temporary. And man, we run from that every chance we get. We don't want to face that, and I understand it. But sometimes we're disillusioned, and we forget the truth of what John said in 1 John chapter 2 when he said that we need to make sure that we do not love the world or anything in the world. Now watch what he says, because this is really convicting. If anyone loves the world, man, I, I, love, a, I love a new iPhone. The love for the Father is not in them. Okay, I'm not so much into iPhones anymore, right? Then he goes on to say, for everything in the world, and he gives three categories. There's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Watch what he says. It comes from, it does not come from the Father. The love of those things does not come from the love of the Father. When the advertiser is selling you those things, it is not coming from the love of the Father, but from the world. And then watch what he says, and here's the perspective he wants us to have. Because the world and its desires, say these next two words with me, pass away. It's temporary. It will be gone. It will not last. And in the end, it will not matter. But whoever does the will of God, now that, that will live forever. Man, it's easy to forget that, isn't it? Man, when that ad comes on and they're trying to add that little bait of happiness, it just feels, oh, it feels kind of good. I kind of... And then I see this, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I know there's something more. There's something better. May we not be satisfied with something so much smaller. So then the question is, okay then, Mark, if God's primary desire is not my happiness, then what is his primary desire for my life? And I believe Jesus teaches us that God desires your heart more than your happiness. He wants your heart more than your happiness. It, it, Jesus said, I'll summarize the entire Old Testament this way, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. To make sure that we are serving Him and not asking Him to serve us. Now, I've got to say some good news because some of you look like you've just lost all hope and I don't want that to be the case. God does delight in your happiness. He just doesn't desire it most. You know, God is our father and, and, and I'm a parent and, and I delight when my kids are happy. I, when I hear my kids laughing, when I, when I see that knowing smile that, ah, oh, that touched their heart and they're happy, like that just... That just does something to a parent's heart, doesn't it? Like when my kids, if they love to go to concerts, and you know, if they're going to go to a, a Toby Mac concert, if they're going to go to a Hillsong worship concert, if they're going to go to a Harry Styles concert or a Justin Bieber concert, and it makes them happy, I'm happy. But if all of a sudden they're driving home and I find out they're texting and driving or they're drinking and driving or they're doing something that compromises their character or who they're hanging around, guess what? Happiness, their happiness is no longer my priority. And as parents, we understand that. But when it comes to God, we treat Him differently and we say, no, no matter what, I just want Him to make me happy. But God desires your heart more than your happiness. Now, 
we started this whole message by saying there's a myth that God wants us happy. And we gave you a verse with a little twist on it that says rejoice, as if that's all there is to it. The question is rejoice in what? Rejoice in possessions, rejoice in right relationships and thrilling experiences, in better possessions, or, or in uh, uh, the other stuff that was on the screen, whatever it was. Uh, uh, peaceful circumstances, better, perfect appearance. Like, what is it that, that really will make me happy? I want you to see the rest of this first because this wraps up the whole thing. Here's what we're told. And this is fascinating because this is in the middle of a controversy or in the middle of a struggle as, as the psalmist is writing this in Psalm 96, 97, and 98. And he's looking forward and he says, when you look in light of eternity, here's what he says. Because we know victory is sure in the end. We're not working for victory. We're working from victory. This is what he says and not Psalm 97, 12. He says, rejoice. Rejoice in what? He says, say it with me. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, what about stuff? What about people? What about appearance? What about circumstances? No. Rejoice in the Lord, for He is where we find joy that passes all understanding, that supersedes all my circumstances, that supersedes all the things that might make me unhappy. And watch how he finishes the verse. When you do rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, watch what he says. It will result in you praising his holy name. Oh, you who laid the foundations of the earth. You who rise the sun every day. You who put the stars in the sky. God, I will praise your holy name. Your story, which I am just a bit part in a temporary scene, this is about you and not about my happiness. God, may I serve you with this moment that I have. May I praise your holy name. And may I rejoice in the Lord above all. This is what we were created to do. This is what you were created for. It's what your heart longs for most. I love the story Max Lucado tells about the fish that was taken out of the water. Fish was taken out of the water and put on the beach. And there on the beach, you imagine if a fish is taken out of the water and put on the beach, and we walked up to the fish, and we had a great big pile of cash, and we said, hey, fish, here's $500,000. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that fish is happy, yes or no? And this is where you, you participate. <laughs> Do you think the fish is happy, yes or no? You're a smart crowd. I knew you were. Okay, then let's up the ante. The fish is on the beach, and we're giving the fish $500,000, but we're also going to give him a lounge chair, we're going to give him a martini, and we're also going to let him see replays of Finding Nemo over and over again. Okay? Now let me ask you a question. Now do you think the fish is happy, yes or no? Some of you hesitated. You were, mm, maybe, Finding Nemo's pretty good. Why is the fish not happy? Because the fish wasn't made for the beach. The fish wasn't made for the sand. The fish was made for the water and cannot be fully content and joyful and productive unless the fish is where it was made to be in the water. Can I just remind all of us what you already know? You have been created for something more, and you haven't been created for this earth. It's why nothing on this earth can satisfy. It's why the possessions and the appearance and all those things can never be ultimately or lastingly make you happy. Happenings on earth cannot make eternal creatures happy. 
They can't. We were made for so much more, and only the Lord can be the one who fully satisfies me and fully satisfies you. At the end, He is the one who offers joy unspeakable. He's the one who offers us His peace, His presence, and His power. And I love what Augustine said in his great book, Confessions. He said, You, O Lord, are the one that I have been made for, and I will never be satisfied until I find my rest in You. He is the one who satisfies. We rejoice in the Lord, and He wants my heart more than my happiness, and I find joy in Him and Him alone. Only God can give me that kind of joy. But then we come back to the formula, because here's what I promise you, you're going to leave today, and before the day is done, you're going to find some of that bait coming up on a pop-up ad or on a commercial, and you're going to see it. You're going to go, oh, that's that thing. That's, you're going to go, okay, that's the better possession part. Okay, that's the bait on the hook. That's the peaceful circumstances, thrilling experiences, right relationship, perfect. Okay, now I see. That's the thing, right? You're going to see it. And you're going to be tempted like me to believe it will provide happiness. But I just want to encourage you and remind you, God desires your heart more than your happiness. And if you pursue this formula, you'll miss out on both. You'll not only miss out on God, you'll miss out on happiness, which is what you ultimately were created to enjoy in Him, in Him alone. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower and you're here today, I just want to tell you, Christianity is not a religion that satisfies happiness, but instead it captures your heart to give greater purpose than this life and to know an eternal God who you'll know for all of eternity and to serve and worship Him, a really good God. It's a much better, it's a much better deal than just you alone having a temporary dopamine shot of happiness. And if you've never made that exchange and said, God, I, I want to quit asking you to serve me. I want to serve you. And I want to lay down my life and look for something so much bigger and so much better. I want to invite you after the service today to just to go back behind the sound booth here. There's curtains. There'll be people back there waiting, and they would love to support you in prayer if you are a Jesus follower. And you're here today, and you're like, you know what? My life is just hard right now. Life is just difficult. I, I, a broken relationship, a broken dream, something going on with health in your life. And you look around, and you go, man, I feel like I'm in the middle of a storm. And you desire that peace that passes all understanding. One of the things I love is when I stand out in the lobby after the service is how many of you come up to me and say, I am in the middle of a storm right now, and you outline what it is that's going on, and so many times I then see your face light up as you share, and I can't explain it, but somehow, some way, I'm discovering that I trust him in the middle of the storm. You are rejoicing in the Lord when you experience that. Experiencing his faithfulness and his peace and his joy and his providence, even when the circumstances aren't the way you wish they were. It's beautiful. And only God can give that. So let me ask you something personal as we close. Are you chasing temporary happiness or are you pursuing the heart of your creator who alone gives joy let's pray well, father we come to you today we just know that uh, that we've been made for you we've been made for so much more and yet that desire for you 
continually gets hijacked by our enemy with cheap substitutes all the time. God, forgive me for the times I've, I've settled for those. God, help us not to believe this myth that you just simply want to be the custodian of our comfort, but instead you want our hearts. More than anything else, oh God, help us pursue you. Lord, in this place and in this week, may we as followers or people who are considering following you, may we take steps in rejoicing in the Lord this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.